I'm going to kind of miss this Roland song when it's done. Uh, we have one more week with it. I've enjoyed it. It's a little snappy. Um, so let me give you um, some information here. What we're trying to teach you is something that Cole and I, Cole was teaching last week, I'm teaching this week, something that Cole and I have been learning as well. And it was taught in such an amazing way. We're doing our best to, to present it to you as accurately as possible because, oh, it's so, so powerful. And I can say that I, 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 you know, I, because it's something that has been taught to me. So let me kind of tell you where we have been with this series. So that way, if like this morning is your first day here with us, then that is fine. You picked a great day to be here, even though we're in week number four of a five-part series. But this is where we've been. We started out with the question, well, how do we know that we can get to heaven? I mean, that's a big question. How do we know that we can get to heaven? And if we were to look at what the world says around us, worldwide, actually, across the entire globe, the majority of people would say this, in order to get to heaven, you got to be pretty good. you got to be a pretty good person to get to heaven. So here's the thing. So if pretty good people go to heaven, then that means, if that's right, that means our choices on this side of heaven or this side of life determine what happens for us and to us on the other side of life. But we also talked about how there are some real problems with that idea that pretty good people go to heaven. I mean, if good people go to heaven, there's some real problems. Here's one. We don't know what good is. I mean... That's a real problem, wouldn't you say? If we don't know what the standard is, we don't know what good is. And we know that leaders all over the world, each of them will say, here's what I think it is. This is my idea of what to be good in order to get to heaven is. But none of their standards really agree. So you might say, but I have this internal sense, this internal sense of right and wrong. If I follow that, then I'll be pretty good and I'll be good enough. But here's the problem. Our idea of right and wrong and of what is good and bad is different than someone else's idea of what is good and bad and what is different than another person in another country and another culture, what their idea of good and bad is. And so if that is it, this internal thing that God put in our lives that said it's right and wrong, it's good and bad, then here's the question, which standard is God going to use? Is he going to use your standard, or is he going to use my standard, or is he going to use the standard from the person on the other side of the globe? Which standard is God going to use? That sounds like a real problem if it is that good people go to heaven. Um, here's the other thing. God didn't even give us a hint at to how he is going to score us, give us a score. How does the scoring system work if good people go to heaven how does that work? God doesn't give us his system of scoring. And here's a giant problem. This may be the problem that trumps all the problems, and here it is. Jesus actually comes out, and he actually says, no one will ever be good enough to get in. There you go. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. So then why do we insist on continuing to think that pretty good people go to heaven. Well, last week we said that probably it's because there's no other good options. But last week we gave ourselves another option. 
we said, actually, according to Jesus, here is the option. If good people don't go to heaven, who goes to heaven? And here's what Jesus says, forgiven people go to heaven. That's the answer. Jesus actually said, McKinley will have it on the screen for you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's where he says it here too. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. One way. And Jesus said, I'm it. I'm the way. But you know what? When we read that, when we hear that, that really sounds pretty elitist, doesn't it? Jesus, the only way to heaven, the only way to God. I mean, that sounds so unfair. Good people go to heaven. Now, that sounds much more fair to me. But Jesus said, good people don't get in. (laughs) Jesus was talking at one point to the best people on earth besides himself. I mean, these people were so good, they actually had most, if not all, of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the entire thing memorized. These were some really good people. And Jesus looked at them, these professional good people. He looked at them and he said, you're not good enough. But then you know what Jesus also said? Jesus said that some really bad people actually were going to get to go to heaven. I mean, there were some prostitutes, some thieves, some criminals, people who were so bad, some of them, that they knew they were so bad, there was no way they would ever get in. I mean bad people, very bad people, who didn't even try to be good. They weren't trying to do good things. They weren't trying to even be good enough. No, they were bad. Some of them worked really hard at being bad. I mean, they wanted to be bad. They enjoyed being bad. And at the very last minute, some of them got in. They didn't deserve to get in. I mean, listen, if I work hard and I don't get in and they slack off and at the last minute they find a way in, that is so unfair. Again, that sounds unfair. Good people go to heaven. Doesn't that make much more sense? I mean, people who care about going and they're trying to get there, they're doing pretty good, they're working toward it, they're working harder, they're trying to do better, they're trying to get their life right, they're trying to do better. Don't they deserve it more? Doesn't that seem much more fair. I know initially it seems fair, but here's a question. If there's a list of rules that we can't find, is that fair? Is it fair to be left to guess how good it takes to be good enough? And it's not explained anywhere. When you look in the Bible, it's not explained anywhere at all. Is that fair? Is it fair to leave an entire world guessing, wondering, not having any idea if they're in or out? 
Is that fair? Now, here's an important point. It's where we're headed today. If we ignore the claims of Jesus, this is going to be on the screen here for you. If we ignore the claims of Jesus because they seem unfair, then that means we're using a fairness test for truth. Here's what I mean by that. If we don't follow Jesus because we say that what Jesus is talking about is unfair, then we're assuming that for something uh, to be true, that it has to be fair. So, for many of us, we kind of test drive religion like we would test drive a car. We're going to go and test them out. We're going to go survey what's out there. and We're going to pick the one that makes us most comfortable. We're going to pick the one that has the features we like the most. We're going to pick the one that, uh, that, that, that we feel like we like better, that we think maybe suits us better. But here, when it comes to what I believe, the issue should not be what makes me more comfortable, or it should not be what do I like. The issue should not be what do I prefer. The issue should be what is true. Now, the answer to that question can be uncomfortable. But if we believe that one day we're going to die and we're going to live forever somewhere, then we are gambling our eternity on what we pick, what we choose to believe is true. So we should not be looking for what makes us comfortable, what fits the way we think and the way we think that things should be, but rather we should pick based upon one thing, what is true, what is not true. You know, something can be totally unfair and still be totally true at the same time. We just saw it in the news not too many weeks ago. The Olympics' decision to ignore one gymnast's extra difficult maneuvers, that might be unfair. But it was certainly true. It certainly happened. Some people want to throw out the claims of Christ because they seem unfair. It sounds like this. Well, Christianity is unfair, so I don't believe it's true. But the reality is fairness does not determine what is true. And we have to add this, too. While on the surface it sounds like good people go to heaven sounds fair, when we looked at that in week number one and week number two of this series, we realized it's not fair either. Not at all. So clearly, unfair does not equal something to be true or false. Here's what it is. This is on the screen for you too. Fair doesn't equal true. It doesn't. Here's a better formula. Actually, the only correct formula. True equals true. Has nothing to do with fairness. It has everything to do with, is it really true? So we have to decide for ourselves, what am I going to decide for me as Harley and for you as you? What are you going to decide and what are you going to claim for yourself as truth? Now, there's a lot of options out there, many, many, many options. And that's a big problem because that means we have to make some choices. Here are some of the options. Uh, We could go with Islam. We could go with Mormon. 
We could go with Hindu. We could go with Buddhist. We could go with, uh, instead of Mormon, you could say the Latter-day Saints. We could go with uh, Orthodox uh, the Orthodox Jewish religion. We could go with Scientology or Jehovah's Witness. There's many, many, many others. We could go with any one of those. And pretty much each one of those claims to have the correct list of things that we need to do in order to please God or a higher power. And each one claims that they have a prophet or a series of prophets or people who received these teachings directly from God. But following Jesus, this is different, very different. Jesus said the issue is not fairness, but the issue is strictly forgiveness. Where God actually made a choice to lay fairness to the side, and instead of fairness, God went with something called mercy and something called grace. Now here's a reality that's not so shocking for us. Life is not fair, right? Life is not fair. And this is not shocking. Life will never be fair, this side of heaven. In fact, life can't be fair. Here, here's another truth for us. Usually we're not really concerned about fair unless we're not getting what we want. <laughs> That's when we want fair. But if it's unfair in our favor... Well, we're, we're not so concerned with fair at that moment. I, I can tell you, when I was a kid, I loved, still love, raviolis. Oh, my goodness. I loved and still love raviolis out of the can. Oh, my goodness. Chef Boyardee, that's the meal for me. I loved it. And when we opened up a can of Chef Boyardee at the house and my mom would put them in the skillet, my mom knew how to cook, but she also blessed us occasionally with some Chef Boyardee. And she would put those in the pan, she would heat them up, and she would give me some and give my sister some out of the same can. Now let me tell you what's the truth. If I looked and I could tell that I got a little bit more, just it would only take a wee bit more. If I got some more, I was so happy and I didn't stop and yell, wait, that's not fair. That's not fair. No, I would get real quiet. My eyes might get a little bigger. <laughs> I would get real quiet and I might smile just a little bit. I would try to hold it back, but I would quietly take my bowl back to the table and I would sit down because I got more. I did not scream unfair. No one ever sat at the Christmas tree and yelled, No fair! I got more presents than anybody! <laughs> You've never heard that, have you? You see, here's, here's the truth. We're going to quietly enjoy it if we get more. But if we notice that we get less and someone else gets more, we're going to scream out unfair. I mean, we rarely expend much energy uh, or emotion at, at that, trying to demand fairness when we get more than we deserve. I mean, every once in a while, I mean, every once in a while this might happen. Uh, so we might see someone else getting treated a little unjustly when we got more, and we might say something on the rare occasion, but usually... Usually, we're just going to quietly feel some concern for them that we got more and they got less, but not so much concern to the point that we're going to give them any of ours. No, no, we usually don't. We think about, think about this with me. We seem 
to go back and forth on this whole fairness issue. If we get more than we think we deserve, we're really pretty quiet about that. If we don't get what we think we deserve, that's when we holler unfair. So we're not always concerned with fairness. But somehow when it comes to God, we seem to demand what we think is fair from God. Now stay with me on this. If we were to actually analyze our lives, I don't think we would really want God to be fair with us. Because a truly fair God would give me and you exactly what we deserve and nothing more. The reality is God goes way past fairness. He goes way beyond fairness, over and above fairness. God is more than fair. See, God doesn't give me or you what we do deserve. And that's called mercy. God decides to give us what we don't deserve. And that's called grace. Now we happen to know that uh, following Jesus, if we want to think about it as being fair, we can say this, it's absolutely not fair. And that's great. That is great. We'll get to that in a moment. But we know exactly when this whole fairness thing, uh, you know, when it got thrown out the window. We have historical records that tell us exactly what happened. See, there was a day when everything was completely fair. I mean, everyone had equal access to God. Everyone knew God's standard and they understood all the rules and they knew the consequences for breaking the rules. And there was a day when everybody had jobs they loved. It was great. They had amazing relationships, an awesome place to live, everyone. And they had perfect health. Everything was perfect. It was perfection. And on top of that, God added in this wonderful little gift called the freedom to choose. And here's what that looked like. Obey this one rule that I've given you, God said, and you're going to get to live like this forever. Or you can disobey this one rule, and that means everything dies. Now, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they introduced sin into this creation. And they introduced all the consequences of sin into this creation. God didn't do that. They did that. Their world was fair, but in that moment, by their choice, fairness came to a screeching halt, an abrupt end. It was a whiplash-type stop. And from that moment to this very moment today, everyone has been treating each other unfairly. Now, God had a choice to make. He had a choice to make of his own. Here's the choice. He could either wipe the slate clean and start creation over, or God could introduce something new, mercy and grace. You see, the current system in which we live, and it's the only system we've known 
because it's been here since we've been born and previous. It's the only system we know. It is the system, and it's unfair. It's an unfair system. Now, it's not the original system that God designed. That was a fair system. The system we live in is unfair because it's a distorted, broken version of God's original system. Now, to think about how unfair the system actually is, think about this. We were hurt today by someone generations ago that we never knew and never met. We don't even know them, right? Adam and Eve. But chances are, we have also hurt someone that we have never met. But here we are now, living in this world that is unfair. And God's choice was to not start over. God's choice was to resort to grace and mercy. And it was the only hope that Adam and Eve had that day that fairness died. And it's still the only hope for us to make it through this unfair life in which we find ourselves right now. So, instead of being fair to us and leaving us with the eternal consequences of the many times that we've chosen our freedom to hate God with our choices, God set aside fairness. He went way past fairness. And I'm so glad he did. And so God doesn't give us what we deserve. I deserve to be eternally separated from God. And he doesn't give me that. Instead, he gives me mercy. And God gives me what I don't deserve. Forgiveness for every single sin I have committed. And he offers it to you too. And we don't deserve that, but he gives it to us and that's called grace. Now as we switch gears here for a moment, I want to define a couple of words for you. All right, Let's use the first word wage. McKinley will put it on the screen. A wage is something that we work for and we earn that wage. We work for that wage. We deserve that wage. Now, if you've worked all week long and you didn't get paid, you would get pretty angry and mad because you deserve it. You worked for it. You earned it. We deserve that wage. So we, we have earned it. All right. That's a wage. Let's define another word, the word sin. Basically, we can just say this. Sin is anything that is not done the way God would do it. That's a simple way to, to describe it. Anything that we do that's not the way God himself would do it. That's sin. And I want you to know the truth. I do so, so many things every single day, not like God. In fact, it's not the fact that I have not done enough good to get into heaven. That's not the problem. Rather, the fact is that I have done one thing. It only takes one, one thing unlike God. And I had already accomplished that before I ever got here today. You too, probably. It only takes one. Because God's standard, it's not that we haven't done enough good. The problem is that there's any whatsoever bad in us at all. Any sin. That's the problem. God's standard is perfection. And we have all failed 
already probably today. Now let's take these proper, correct definitions and let's look at something that God had written for us and he had Paul write this down in the first century, not too many years after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. We're going to pause right here. I'll just, just leave this on the screen for a moment, McKinley. For the wages of sin is death. Now let's break this down. The way, for the wages, so a wage, we already said, is something I have worked for, I earn, and I deserve. Of sin, which is my choice to do things the way God would not do them. That's my choice. That's sin. Is death. Now, let's, here's what that's saying. Because of my choice to sin, that means I have worked for, I've earned, and I deserve death. An eternal separation from God. That's what that means. But that's not the end of the story, and I'm so thankful. Here's what the next line says. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So let's define the word gift. Just leave this right here on the screen for a minute. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, McKinley, I forgot I had that. A gift is something I don't deserve. A gift is something I can't earn. I can't work for it. If I could earn it, deserve it, or work for it, it's not a gift. It's a wage. And God says he has something for me that I don't deserve, I cannot earn, I cannot work for it. But here's the problem. This gift, it's what it is. This is what he has for me. The gift of eternal life. That's the gift. And I, I may have that on the screen too. It's an eternity with God in a real place called heaven. That's the gift that he has for me. I can't work for it, I can't earn it, I can't deserve it. That gift is an eternal life, an eternity with God in a real place called heaven. But here's the problem. There's only one single way for me to receive this gift. There's not several ways. There's not a bunch of different ways all leading to the same gift. There's one single way, not many ways, one way to get this gift. And here's what God tells us at the end of this verse. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the one way. You see, God knew that it would take a really big sacrifice to pay for the entire sins of all the world. It would take a God-sized sacrifice to pay for sins of everyone across the whole world. A God-sized sacrifice. So Jesus Christ, who is God himself, the perfect Lamb of God, came here and died as a sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And it didn't stop there. He then had to defeat death, and he did. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb. And he allowed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to see him alive. And he walked with them. And he talked with them. He ate with them. So they saw him. They were with him. They knew he really was alive. This was not a ghost. And so some other people wrote down what they experienced. And then all the other people who saw him alive agreed, yeah, that really did happen. We were there. 
So what might look as unfair is actually way, way, way beyond fair. Because not only does God not give me what I do deserve, He gives me what I don't deserve and I can never deserve and I can never earn. Do you understand? In that moment, God threw fairness out. He got rid of fairness and decided to treat us better than fair. He threw fairness out, and instead of giving us what we deserve, God chose to give us something we could never earn or deserve. So yeah, following Jesus is unfair, but it's unfair to our advantage. But the only way, the only way, and the new covenant is clear, the only way that we get to go is through Jesus Christ. That's the one path to that gift. Everybody wants the gift of heaven, but that's the only way to open it. That's the only way to get it. To get what we don't deserve, in order for God to do that, something had to die. And the only thing that could die that would cover the sins of the entire creation that God made was God himself. God had to die for us. And so he stepped out of heaven and he came here as a man, Jesus Christ. For one reason, he came to die, to defeat death. And I just want to simply ask this morning, are you ready to say yes to God? Are you ready to say, God, count me in? I, I've been living my life trying to be good. I've been living my life trying to be pretty good. But if I can never be good enough, those guys had the entire old covenant memorized and they weren't good enough, God, I know I'll never be good enough. And if you're ready to say, God, count me in on your plan, I'm going to leave my plan behind, count me in on yours, then I'm simply going to say this to you. You don't have to walk down these aisles this morning. You don't even have to raise your hand. I'm going to put up a list of information on the screen in just a moment. McKinley and I are going to do this. And if you are simply in your heart saying, yes, I agree with that God. Yes, I agree with that God. Then you are telling him right now, you are transferring the ownership of your life from your plan to his plan. You as the owner of your life to him as the owner of your life. And that's all you have to do. Jesus, God himself, is listening to your heart right now. Are you ready? If this is you. Some of you this morning are already followers of Jesus. You only have to do this once. You transfer that ownership one time. Some of you have been wearing this label called Christian. You say, I've always grown up Christian. I've always believed this to be true. Hmm, that's not what it takes. I'm going to put this list up here. This is what it takes. It's not mental agreement that Jesus is who he says he is. It's a transfer of ownership. And that transfer of ownership is expressed one way. Following Jesus. Are you ready? If God's speaking to your heart right now, you don't even have to bow your head. In fact, I don't even want you to because I want you to see everything that comes up on this screen. If you're ready to say yes to God, here's the first thing right now. You're saying, God, I've sinned. 
I've blown it. I've lived my life many ways, many times, not the way you would live your life, not the way you would decide and do things. So I have sinned, and I'm agreeing with you, God, right now I have. Here's the second thing. Because I have sinned, God, I deserve what I have earned. I deserve to be separated from you for eternity. That's what's fair. That's what I've deserved because I have sinned. That's what I deserve. Here's the next thing. But God, you have a free gift for me. Because you love me, you have a gift, an eternity-long relationship with you, God. You have a gift for me. And here's the fourth thing you're saying. And the only way that I can get that gift is through the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And I say, this. God, please count me in. I believe you are the truth. And here's what we say to that. Number five, I choose to follow you, Jesus, because you're that truth. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you with my life for life. I'm in. And if you just, for the first time, you only have to do this, make this arrangement with God. He made the arrangement. We just simply respond to it. You only have to do that once, and then you just follow Jesus. You just go follow him then. It's a one-time decision to follow him. Then you just simply follow. And I'm asking, if that's what you're doing today for the first time, I want you to please, 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 please mark that on the back of your connection card. Let me know that you're making him the boss of your life, that you are transferring that ownership. There's a place to do it, right on the back of that card. Would you please let me know? Would you please do that? Here's what it says on the back of the card. For the first time, I'm really choosing to become a Christ follower. I'm giving my life to Jesus because he died as a sacrifice for my sins so I can be his forever. I'm making Jesus the boss of my life. Would you let us know that? And I want to tell you the truth. It's impossible to follow Jesus in isolation. It's impossible. It's impossible to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and then say, but I'm going to keep it secret from everybody in the world. It's impossible. It can't happen, in fact. You'll, you will not find that covenant anywhere. It's a popular idea for Americans, but it is actually not found in the Bible. Will you please let me know today? If you're choosing to follow Jesus, because I want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you down here. Just let me know on that card. Just let me know. Or on your phone, on those, just submit it. Just let me know, because we want to encourage you. In fact, Frank's here today. Frank is going to send you, uh, from, from the church, he's going to send you a text message or an email that has a link to some information that we want to give you just to help you get a start in following Jesus. I know this, too. I know this. The New Covenant tells us that when one person chooses to follow Jesus, the angels in heaven take notice and they throw a party. <laughs> what a party in heaven looks like, I have no idea, but they throw a party celebrating Jesus and the fact that you have chosen to follow him. 
And I have a feeling that there's a party going on right now in your honor. Will you let me know? We're getting ready to sing a few songs, a couple of songs. And I want you to look at the words. McKinley's going to have the words to the songs that we're singing. They're going to be on the screen. Look at those words and just, if your heart, if you can do it, just if your heart will let you. We, we have the music loud enough so the person next to you can't hear you sing. That's why we do it, because I don't want anybody hearing me sing. Music will be pretty loud, but that's why. If your heart feels like that you can join us in that celebration today, we encourage you to do it. I want to pray for us, and then let's celebrate Jesus. Let's pray. God, you told us that if we could work for this and earn it, it's not a gift at all. But we can't work for this, and we can't earn it because it is your gift. And we are only counted as righteous, Jesus, not because of what we have done, not because of how good we are, only counted as righteous because we believe you died to forgive our sins. And that's the only reason. And Jesus, right now, this very moment, we're going to celebrate you. We are so grateful that you did not give us what we deserve. And that instead, you have given us what we could never deserve and never earn. Thank you so much, Jesus. In your name, we pray these things. Amen.